Okay. Well, this morning we're going to look at um, the account in John chapter 4 of Jesus' meeting with the woman at the well, a well-known passage in the scripture, which I've entitled, It Wasn't the Water He Came For, It Was Me. Amen. So let's have a look at that. We'll get straight into John chapter one, 4, verses 1 to 6. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, that is about midday. Now, Jesus was growing in popularity in Jerusalem and didn't want a confrontation with the Jewish authorities yet because his time had not come. So he left Judea to go to north to Galilee. So remember we, we talked about the fact that Jesus was very much aware of why he came to earth to go to the cross. He always spoke about that as his, his hour. And um, you know, he'd often say, my hour has not yet come. So he would try to lie low as it were, keep out of the, the spotlight, uh, because he didn't want to be arrested prematurely until his time had come. And he was getting very popular now, and uh, he didn't want this to escalate into that kind of situation. So he left Judea for Galilee. Now the most direct route uh, was through Samaria. But most Jews did not take this route in order to avoid contact with the Samaritans. This made the trip twice as long. They would cross the river Jordan, go up alongside the river all the way up to they reach parallel with Galilee and then cross over the Jordan again and into Galilee. Twice as long. Now there's a bit of a history uh, regarding the Jews and the Samaritans. If I could just quickly summarize it so that you get the picture and you understand the setting here. Uh, it really goes back to the times just after Solomon. When Solomon died, uh, his son Rehoboam came to the throne and uh, there was a bit of a revolt by the northern tribes and they broke away. So there was two kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Okay, so there were two kings. But of course, the temple was in the south, so that's where the true worship was continued. They had to come to the temple to offer the sacrifices and so on. And so there was this rift between the two that grew and grew and grew. And then eventually, uh, the Assyrians came and attacked the northern kingdom and deported the Jews from the northern kingdom, from uh, Israel, what we call Israel. And they had a policy that was different to the Babylonians. The Babylonians later, about 150 years later, deported the Jews in the southern kingdom, but their policy was different. The Assyrians took their captives and spread them around other nations that they had captured and took people from those nations and brought them into countries like Israel. So basically what you've got is some Jews and some 
not Jews, so there's like a, a mixed breed that's beginning to develop, and the Jews in the south said these are not real Jewish people, these are not God's people, they've, they've drifted away from the true faith. Now eventually, uh, the Jews in the south were deported by the Babylonians, they had a different policy, they took the people to their country, and then when they were allowed to return, they came back and they wanted to rebuild the temple, Nehemiah, you remember, was in charge of rebuilding the wall. So the Samaritans from the north came down and said, we'll give you a hand. To which he said, no, thank you. We don't want you. And that caused the hostility to go deeper. And um, uh, one of the Jewish priests at that time uh, wanted to marry Samballot's daughter. You remember Samballot? And uh, the, the, the priest has said, if you do that, you, you're no longer a priest. We'll put you out. So he did marry her. He was out of the priesthood, but Sam Ballant came to him and said, don't worry about that. I'll build you a temple in the north and you can be the high priest up there. So there was this other temple that was built. So they've got two temples now. That was destroyed, rebuilt, and then the Jews destroyed it a second time. So when you get to the time of Jesus, there's no temple there in the north, but they worship still at that mountain, okay, at Mount Gerizim. So this is the situation. The, the, the ones in the north said, we are the true people of God. Uh, where those in the south said, no, you're not. You're heretics. We are the true people of God. And there was a rift between them. They didn't want any contact between them. And so that's that situation. But Jesus, it says, had to take this route through Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria, not the way that the Jews would normally go, across the river up north and then back across the river again. He went through some Samaria. Why? Because he had to meet this woman at the well. That's why we've called this, it wasn't the water he came for, it was me. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus going to this length to meet this woman and bring salvation to her. So let's read on. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Now, by basically, let's just stop there for a moment because we looked in the last chapter at Nicodemus. You remember? Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night. You could not get more of a contrast. Nicodemus, of course, was a man. This woman was a woman. Okay? <laughs> Presenting as a woman. <laughs> Nicodemus was a Jew. She was a Samaritan. Nicodemus was orthodox. She was regarded as a heretic. Nicodemus was morally upright. She was a loose woman. She slept around. That, that's, that's a part of this whole situation here. Nicodemus came by night. She came in the middle of the day and met Jesus. And so what, what, the picture you're getting is that Jesus is for everyone. You know, we just read, didn't we? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Somebody once said to me, you know, you believe your religion because it's a Western religion. I said, no, it's not. It started in the Middle East. It started in the Middle East and, and it's, it's been, it goes out to the whole world because God is reaching out to the world. It didn't start in a Western country. It started right there in, in, in the land of Israel. So this woman, anyway, came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered, 
and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who is asking you or who says to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father? Uh, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And so here's the situation. Jesus has planned to meet this woman and he, he meets up with her. She doesn't know that it's all pre-planned. And Jesus starts the conversation by asking for a drink of water. Okay? And let's just go to the next thing. What we need to understand is that women usually come to draw water as a group together and at a cooler time of the day, usually first thing in the morning before the sun gets up. You can imagine carrying two loads of uh, buckets of water in, 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 in the heat of the day. They wouldn't do that. They come in the morning when it's not so warm. They come as a group. But she came at midday when the sun was highest, probably to avoid seeing the other women because of her lifestyle. She, she had a bad reputation and they'd give her a bad time. So she came when it was most inconvenient, most impractical. But that's when Jesus was there. That's when Jesus was there. No coincidence. You think about it. He could have turned up at any other well at any other time in Samaria. But he turned up at that well at Sychar, which is outside of Sychar, when that woman was going to be there. He, it was a divine appointment, as was yours, by the way. When you came to Christ, you might look back on that time and you might think it was a, a coincidence, this happened, this happened, this happened, you met this person, you heard the gospel or whatever. It was not a coincidence, it was a God incidence. God planned to meet you there to give you life, to give you salvation, to give you his love, because he loves you so much. Amen. And he arrived at the well before she did. Perfect timing. And the disciples had gone off. So he had this time alone where he could just speak freely and she would not feel inhibited. This conversation could, could unfold. It was all a divine appointment. Isaiah says, I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. Without being flippant, I mean, if there was a song that, that I could pick that Jesus could sing at that time as the, as the woman was coming up the hill, it would be, hello, is it me you're looking for? <laughs> But, but really she wasn't looking. He was looking for her, but she found him there at that time. What a beautiful picture that is. And then the conversation begins to open up. First of all, there are two things that surprise this woman. First of all, that a man would talk to her in public. Now, rabbis would not greet or speak to a woman in public, not even their wife or daughter. Now, if you find that hard to believe, I know of a religion where that is the case today. I know that of a fact. Where, where a man would not even talk to a relative, a, a female relative in public. 
It's not the done thing, okay? But what was more surprising and what she brought out in this conversation was that a Jew would talk to her. Here are some uh, sayings of the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis. It is prohibited to eat the bread and to drink the wine of a Samaritan. And again, if anyone receives a Samaritan into his house and ministers to him, he will cause his children to be carried into captivity. And again, he who eats the bread of a Samaritan is as if he ate swine's flesh. Such was the rift between these two. And, and you can almost sense the sarcasm in, in this woman's reply when he asked for water. You can almost, you know, like, you a Jew asking water from me a Samaritan? It's almost like saying, we, we are the dirt beneath your feet until you want something. Now you're asking for water from us. But Jesus immediately turned the conversation from the physical to the spiritual. He said, if you knew the gift of God, just stop there for a moment, the gift of God. Salvation is a gift. We have to keep emphasizing this. I am so amazed and so surprised at how many pastors and theologians and even pastors of big churches that, that tend to get the message across that it's Jesus plus your works that get you into favor with God. They don't understand grace, that's why. That's why we emphasize grace so much and keep on re-emphasizing it. It is the gift of God. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God, somebody gives you a gift, you don't pay for it. Amen? It's free, you just receive it. Because it's by grace. By grace you've been saved and that, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Amen? And it's all of Him and He gets the glory because it's all his work. We cannot add to it. And Paul says this, you know, any other teaching is another gospel. It's another gospel. It's not the gospel. It's no, no longer a gospel. It's no longer good news. Amen? Once you add anything to Jesus, it no longer becomes a gift. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God, I'm here today at the well to give you the gift of God, the gift of salvation. He said, if you knew the gift of God, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Amen? He would give you living water. Let's just go back and look at that. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, then he would have given you living water. What did she say? You've got nothing to draw with. She didn't understand. She was still thinking in physical and, 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 and material sense. How will you do that? How will you give me a drink? You don't have anything to draw with. Just like Nicodemus. You know, when, when Jesus tried to bring him life, said, you must be born again. What was the question? He said, how? How, could, how can I be born again? How can I enter the second time into my mother's womb? How? It's by grace. It's by nothing you do. It's he that is born from above. It's a work of God. All you do is receive it. Then he's, he's, you remember to talk about as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that all who look upon him will live. All you've got to do is live. It's by grace. Look upon him rather and live. Same with this woman. 
How, how, how are you going to draw it? Just look to me. I will give you living water. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about buckets and all that stuff. Just look to me and I will give you living water. Amen. Let's read on. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Now, I want you to look at this picture. Her continuously coming to the well illustrates the cycle of constant thirsting of mankind. Every day she had to go through this ritual, take it in buckets, walking up the hill, get the water, go back down again, and then the water be used. She had to come back up again and keep on repeating this action every day. It's a picture of the thirst that is in mankind. When God created man, he was indwelt by the Spirit of God, so he was satisfied from within. He had a fountain of living water within. But because of sin, God vacated the human spirit, and we now search outside of ourselves for other created things trying to satisfy our thirst. That's the picture. Where do people go to get their needs met? Let's start with this woman, relationships. You know the story. She'd had five husbands and the man she was with was not her husband. Like this woman, people seek for this, to satisfy this thirsting within through relationships. Now, relationships are important. God has created us relationally. We are, we are social beings. We're, we're meant to connect in intimate ways with other people. And that's the way we're created. The problem is that we, we look for, in those relationships, that which only God can give us. We look for perfect love. In relationships, we find faults. We find failings. We find disappointments. And we, we get hurt. And, and so then... The temptation is to be like this woman, to, to dump that relationship and go and find another one. Isn't that right? Because we're looking for, we have unrealistic expectations in our relationships. Only God can give us perfect love. Amen. And some people, they look to satisfy, to quench that thirst through material things. But we're not just physical. That's why we'll keep on thirsting, because we're spiritual also. Was it Augustine that said, uh, God, to God, thou hast made us for thyself. And we will not find true rest until we find our souls find our rest in you. Something like that. We, we paraphrase it today by saying, God has made us with a God-shaped room in our life. And only God can fill that vacuum. We can enjoy created things. God's not a killjoy. Amen. God is the one that gives us all things richly to enjoy. He gives us five senses to, to enjoy the fullness of life in that sense. You know, the, the, he's given us a sense of smell that we can enjoy the fragrance of a, a rose garden, for example. He gives us the, the sense of taste so that we can 
satisfy yourself with all the, the incredible amount of, you know, you will never sample the, the amount of different tastes there are in this world. Different fruits, for example. In so many different countries, there are fruits that you and I have never even tasted before. There are, there are, there are um, herbs and there are spices and all these things, different tastes in, from different cultures. And God has given us taste buds to enjoy them. I mean, if you just had to eat to stay alive, that's enough. But God says, no, I want you to enjoy this. He gave us taste buds. Amen? That's God. He gives us the, the, the sense of hearing that we can appreciate beautiful music. And uh, not Hawaiian music, but, <laughs> but, but other music. Other music. <laughs> he gives us the sense of touch that we might know. Just the warmth of touching someone and being touched by someone that loves us. He gives us the gift of sight that we can enjoy the, the beautiful sights and sceneries throughout this world. It reminds me of a story of a, a Swiss mountaineer. I got married in Switzerland, by the way, and uh, Marion and I had our honeymoon in Switzerland. It's a beautiful country if you haven't been there. It's a, it's a magnificent country. But I heard about this um, Swiss mountaineer, uh, mountain climbing, you know, sort of trainer. Um, guide and, and, and he was training some mountain climbers and he said look at this particular point you have to be careful uh, because it's very dangerous and, 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 and you could slip and you know and fall and then he paused and he said if you do fall make sure you look to the right the view is fantastic <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my Philosophy, go out with a bang, friends. Enjoy. God, God says, all things are yours. All things are yours. We walk through this life as using all things that God has given. Not abusing them, but using them. Enjoying the fullness of life. Knowing, though, that it still will not satisfy that spiritual part of us. Only God can do that. Amen? Amen. We can enjoy creating things, but we, our soul will never be satisfied in the depths of our souls by them. And then there are coping mechanisms. When the human heart is not indwelt by God, it becomes vulnerable to every kind of negative emotion. People turn then to coping mechanism and become addicted to anything that gives pleasure at the time to compensate for their emotional pain, such as drugs, Sex, alcohol, thrills, etc. People just know I've got to get compensated somehow because of this pain. And, and, and they're seeking for something outside of themselves. And yeah, they get a high with these things, but it doesn't last. They come back down again. And so the, 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 the process of addiction kicks in and, 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 and you know the story. And, and you know what? Um, there, are, there are other respectable coping mechanisms in life you know i mean like work for example people are somehow just driven to keep working working because they only feel good when they keep achieving and achieving they, they set goals and so on and even in ministry some christians do that they work they, they serve god for the wrong reason to 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 feel good about themselves because they haven't learned to drink from that living water that's within them and there are other respectable things like shopping Seriously, some people when they're down, they go shopping. That's what's called RT, retail therapy. Amen? It's not just the ladies. Okay. Enough said. Moving on. 
our greatest need is not to have our needs met, but to know that he is our greatest need. And, and, and you know, Jesus taught that so well. He said, man shall not live by bread alone. Didn't say stop eating. Didn't say stop enjoying. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In fact, in this chapter, we won't have time to look at it this morning, but the next time we will look at it, where, where he said to the disciples, they, they thought he'd be hungry, they brought him food. He said, my meat is to, to do his will. It satisfies me inwardly. More than food can satisfy me even when I'm hungry. I have food to eat that you know not of, he said. They didn't at that time know it. They, didn't, they hadn't experienced that. But they, they were to, praise God. And then there was a time when he was arrested, you remember? He said, I will be arrested and all of you will leave me. I will be alone. He said, but I'm not alone. My father's with me. See, when, when Jesus is the fountain of living water inside us, it's enough. God will still bless you with all these things, but if not, like, even like Paul, you can end up in prison. But if you're learning to live from the fountain within you, Paul was the one that was comforting those outside of prison. Whatever situation, he said, like I think you quoted, was it uh, uh, Philippians 4, you know? Whatever situation, I've learned to be content because there's this living fountain, this fountain of living water that we learn to draw from the well within us. Amen? Look at what the psalmist said. The thirst in the soul of mankind represents a deep need that only God can supply. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. Or Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 63, verse 1, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Amen. God can satisfy us in any situation, whatever, any situation you're in, Jesus is enough if you learn to draw from that living water. The only qualification is thirst. I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You know, those that are working with the, the malnourished in, in, in countries where, where there's a lack of food and so on, water, they, they tell us that they're not concerned when these little ones are crying. They're concerned when they stop crying. The cry is, is evidence that the, third, the, the instinct for life, the survival instinct is there. They're crying for that which they naturally need when they stop crying. That lack of instinct is a sign that they've become extinct, that they've died. And so it's this thirst. Anyone that thirsts, come to the waters. Jesus is offering this water. Somebody phoned me once and, and uh, you know, I was telling them about the Bible school and, and, and so on. And they said, well, you know, they were kind of asking questions. Well, what will it do for me? What, you know, they're going on like this for a long time. I said, look, 
We supply the food, we don't supply the hunger. <laughs> if you're not hungry, it's not going to help you. I'm not going to waste my time. I can't help you with it. I can't give you hunger. I can't give you thirst. Amen? Now here's a saying. For those of you that have studied diet, this is a popular saying. When, when, when you crave food, I'm hungry, I must drink some more water. You heard that one before? No one. I didn't make it up. You've heard it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming to my rescue there, Chris. <laughs> Seriously, that is, that is so true. You, just because you have a pang, you don't have to run out and keep eating. Drink water. And you find that there's a satisfaction that comes to your body. And, 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 and it's like that in the world. Sometimes when, when we're down, when we're, when we're depressed and when we're unhappy, we, we run to this coping mechanism. No, you're thirsty. Learn to drink from the living well which he has given to you. Amen? The answer to addiction is this. I don't need to do this because it is enough that God loves me. If you just focus on the love of God, meditate upon his love, put on you know, some worship songs that just celebrate the love of God and, and you'll find that that impression will lift, that you'll just be drinking of this living water that is within you. Jesus offers a spring within us that will totally satisfy. He does not require the labor of carrying a bucket and taking a heavy load home each day. It only requires drinking. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're well said, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands and the one whom... Uh, you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Now Jesus' request that she call her husband, you know, people say, well, that was proper, you know, a woman talking to a man, and she is right that he... But that wasn't the issue. It was a tactical thing. You see... People will not be open to salvation until they know they need to be saved. So it means you have to address the sin problem. And Jesus did it in a beautiful way. He said, go and call your husband. And this was her problem. She had gone from one man to another, from one bed to another. She was an immoral woman. But, but Jesus never mentioned the word sin to her once. He didn't say, you're sinful. He said, you're thirsty. That's your problem. You're thirsty. And that's led you to this sin. She, she didn't need to be told she was a sinner. She knew she was a sinner. That's why she came in the middle of the day to get the water. So that she would avoid facing people who would confront her about her sin. She knew she was a sinner. Jesus didn't need to mention that word. But what he did say is, you're thirsty. You've had many men. This is what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm, I'm here to give you living water. But she tried to change the conversation. Said, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So get switch, you know, the focus now come upon her and a, and a sin, a, a need of salvation. And she tried to get the spotlight off her and get it onto issues. And doesn't the church do that a lot? Don't we do that a lot? You know, which 
Bible translation is the right one. This one or this one? And, and we get caught up in that that we forget that the big message is it's about Jesus. Does your Bible bring you to Jesus? <laughs> That's the main thing. Which denomination is the correct one? This one or that one? Well, you know, some, sometimes when the cults come to my door, they don't now because I live in an apartment block and they can't get to me. <laughs> but um, anyway, when they did, you, you start to share the gospel with you. You know the question, inevitably they ask you, which church do you belong to? I never asked, I said, that's irrelevant. I said, any church which says we are the right way, that's the wrong way. And that's what the cults do. They say, we're right, everyone else is wrong. Any church that says we're the right way, steer clear of that church. But any church that says Jesus is the way, that's a good church. Any church that points you to Jesus, that's the church. Amen? And so they're trying to, she's trying to say, which one is right, this one or this one? You know, which baptism is right, this one or this one, or no baptism at all, as some are saying now. And they get all hung up about this kind of thing. Which day should we worship? This day or that day? Or, or, or is, is there every day alike? Every day the same? And, and people get into this and, you know, they, they, they get into big blogs about it and big arguments and discussion. Bring it back to Jesus. This is what Jesus did. Okay, let's have a look at what he did. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers, the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must, must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus said, neither, neither this mountain or that mountain. Okay, what, what thirsty souls need is not religion. It's not arguments. It's not debates. What they need is salvation. They need to be pointed to Jesus. Amen. And, and, and Jesus said, the hour is coming. He said it twice. He said, the hour is coming. Before he was saying, the hour is not yet. My hour is not yet come. But now he said, it's coming. It's coming. The hour that changed the entire history of the world. The hour that is the focus of all humanity and history. The hour when Jesus would go to the cross take upon himself all that has separated us from God, our sin, deal with it, receive the wrath of God for that, and give us life. Not just forgiveness, not just righteousness, but life, everlasting life. As John Kipplin saying, everlasting life. This living water, this fountain springing up within us. The hour is coming when that would be made available. Okay. Finish up. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Wow, can you just imagine that moment? She knows that when Messiah comes, he will explain and reveal all things clearly. Jesus answers, you have him. He's here now speaking to you. 
Nothing more was needed. She had found Jesus the Messiah, the Saviour. She dropped a water bucket and ran back to town to tell everyone. That's where we're going to leave it. We'll look at that next time. But that's the wonder of this whole event. Jesus did not come for the water. He came for her to give her living water. He's come to us to give us living water too. Amen. I, I, you know, many Christians do not experience the fountain. That, when I say they don't experience it, they have it, but they don't draw from that living well. They've not learned to drink of that well of salvation. And so sadly run here and there and everywhere trying to get their needs met, their, their, their lives fixed up. But it's all in Jesus. There is nothing, nothing that the presence of Jesus in you cannot match and overcome whatever you're going for through. He is sufficient. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for this beautiful time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this living water that you promised all the way through, which we now enjoy. I pray, Lord God, that you'll bless each one of us, that this will be a living reality in our lives, that we will know how to draw from that well daily, Lord, just to enjoy sweet fellowship with you and to know whatever situation we're in, whether it's a, a situation of need or plenty, or of want or abundance, Lord, whatever situation, you are sufficient anyway. Your grace will always be sufficient for us. So bless us, I pray, this day, and let this truth go deep into our hearts and take root in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.